We have heard for ourselves, God. Our forefathers have told us what deeds you did in their time, all you have accomplished in days of old. Proverbs 2, verse 4. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever been somewhere and heard a song or smelled a distinct scent or felt a wistful breeze and the lid of a long-ago locked box of memories opened a little for a moment? Why do I treasure things in my childhood? My statue of my patron saint, Martin de Porres, or the little musical elephant from my early childhood. They are tangible connection to my childhood, to my deceased mother and father. All the members of my family had touched them. My parents gave them to me. If they were lost, part of me would go with them. Those who live on one level the outer external level of life and go no further are not concerned about such realities. Their experience is limited to what they can see or touch and know here and now. They are the rationalists. But to most of us, all of us, if we would only open ourselves to it, we experience life as a continuum. We don't simply live for this day only. We who live today were formed by yesterday and look forward to tomorrow. We are a continuum. Why then the wistfulness? Why then the nostalgia? A French researcher, Dr. Termestad, has said that there are two types of sound. The first, which promotes fatigue, a discharging sound. And the second, which is a charging sound, which promotes good health and energy and overall feelings of happiness. He found that Gregorian chant may be the most potent charge there is. In the wake of Vatican II, a French abbey received a new abbot. The new abbot set about to sweep away all the traditions and norms of the abbey. First to go was Latin, although the council mandated that Latin was to be present in the Latin rites. Latin then was followed by replacing chant with French hymn tunes, despite that the council had also said that Gregorian chant was to be given pride of place in the liturgy. So I take it the best way to implement the council is to ignore it. Then in a stroke peculiar to many other time, the abbot 
ruled as a contrary to a tradition of 1,500 years. The monks would not sing seven times a day, thus violating a norm of scripture from Psalm 119, which says, seven times a day do I praise you, God. The monks became lethargic and very tired, although they had more sleep than before. Their work was suffering, and their prayer life as well. The community life was also a victim. They were cantankerous. All, ever, all of them angry at each other. The abbot called in doctors, but they were unable to find anything wrong. Medicine, vitamins, exercise had no effect whatsoever. Then the abbot summoned Dr. Tumerstead to the sick abbey. And after his visit, he gave them this prescription. Return to your traditions. As Pope Benedict would say in Summorum Pontificum, and later to the bishop of the church, what generations held as sacred remains sacred. Within five months, all the monks got well. The beauty and holiness of chant has not only an effect on the body, but the soul as well. For in chant, the individual is placed before God and brings about communion between the two. One can commune with the beautiful in all forms of art, but in chant one is dancing like David before Almighty God with no intermediary. It is his song. It is our song. It is a song of the wayfarer, the via cantus viatoris, and with it we sing the song of Sion. David once again sings the Psalms, but he sings it now in the midst of the church. One can ask, why sing them when you can read them? My speech therapist told me that a person who suffers a major stroke and loses the ability to speak often can still sing two sides of the brain. When she said this, I thought at once of a scripture, Luke 19. When some Pharisees urged Christ to stop his disciples from talking about him, he replied, I tell you, if my disciples were to be silent, the very stones would shout it. The word of God is the word of God, spoken or sung, or sung. But in song, it is like incense rising before the throne of God. The sung words bring out the mystical element that is embedded within that word. The sung word gives the word wings that it can fly, soar like an eagle to the throne of God. It also highlights the solemnity of the occasion. 
There is a difference between a recitation of the, of the Happy Birthday song, even by Charlton Heston, and its song performance by tone-deaf waiters at Olive Garden. The recitation lacks the festive quality of singing, no matter how poorly sung. When you sing the psalms or chant a reading, you underline it. And in liturgies, when you do it, it's part of the whole body of Christ. St. Paul teaches us in Romans, we do not know how to pray, but through our inarticulate groans, the Spirit himself is pleading for us. And God who searches our inmost being knows what the Spirit means because he pleads for God's people as God himself wills. The Holy Spirit is the one who prays within you. The Holy Spirit is the one who chants within you. Our blessed Lord chanted the Psalms. His disciples chanted the Psalms. All the Jews of his time chanted the Psalms. When the scripture was read in the synagogues, they were sung. This means that when Christ read the section from Isaiah on his homecoming visit to Nazareth, he sang it. The late great authority on chant, Dr. Mary Berry of Columbia University, has said that chant can be traced back to the time of Christ. Dr. William Mark, the professor of music at Stanford University, said that the psalm tones have their roots in ancient Jewish hymns and psalmody. Someone has written, If you sing psalms at Mass with Gregorian tunes, you are as close as you can be to praying with Jesus and Mary. They sang in psalm tones that have come down to us today in Gregorian chant. I asked, why would anyone want to do away with this personal and vital connection to our living past? Chant Chant also gives you a sense of spiritual freedom because you are not a captive of any period of time. You're not married to the present moment. You are singing a timeless message in a timeless song. Chant is never out of date. It is the eternal song. And chant is always a suitable vehicle for prayer. A monk put it another way. He said, It is not a question of adding music to the words, nor even of setting the words to music. It is a question of making the words bring forth the music they already contain. He who chants is a servant of the word. Just not consider the numbers 
of nuns and monks whose lives around, revolve around the singing of the word of God. A person who chants surrenders himself to that timeless stream of the human unconscious, unifying the present to the past and to the future. All of this at the direction of the music conductor, which is the Holy Spirit. The more one surrenders to the Spirit when chanting, the greater will be the spiritual benefit from it. That is probably why a cloistered community of monks or nuns who practice the evangelical poverty chant with little effort all of this in the direction of God. For their bread is the word of God and they feast on it. The person who raises their heart and chant and participates in that eternal stream of the unconscious, which travels back to ancient days to the primordial song called the Cantus Obscurior. There are those who believe that at one time our speech was a mixture of speech and song. The ancients used to believe that there was a fine line separating speech from song. The cantus obscurior is the origin of all music and is hidden in our spiritual unconscious and is rediscovered in the world of chant, especially the simple chant such as the epistle and the gospel and the lessons. But it may come as a surprise to many, including students of Latin literature, is the fact that Cicero delivered his great literary masterpieces in this way. Cicero delivered them in a combination of speech and song, much like a chant recitation. To ensure he stayed on pitch, Cicero says that a flute player was positioned behind him to keep his voice to, to the pitch. When Christ wanted to celebrate the Passover meal with his apostles, the meal which would, which, which would be the Last Supper, he instructed them to meet a man who would take them to the place. They met him. And the man took them to the house that the Jews venerated as the tomb of David. On the first floor was a synagogue. They went up to the upper room, and there the disciples were taken. The Last Supper was celebrated in an already sacred place. The sacraments of the Holy Eucharist and Holy Orders were established there. It was there, in the upper room, that our Lord bid farewell to them, washed their feet, predicted his betrayal by one of them. It was there 
They denied that they would let him down. Yet they whispered, Is it I, Lord? Is it I? It was there they fled after the crucifixion. They did not live there. The place had become hallowed, and their memories were there. It was there Christ appeared after the resurrection. He gave the sacrament of penance. It was there they hid from the Jews. It was there they prayed for nine days with their Blessed Mother. And at last, it was there the Holy Spirit came upon them, strengthening them and sending them forth where they formed the church. When St. John Paul II wrote a letter to the priests in the Jubilee year of 2000, he decided he would sign it in the upper room in Jerusalem, called the Cynical. He said during the Mass, celebrating this Eucharist in the upper room in Jerusalem, we are united with the Church of every time and place. Tradition is that river which under the wings of the Holy Spirit gives us our identity and our memory as a people, as a church, and a continuity, not only with our parents and grandparents before us, but across the generations to the saints of the past, to the martyrs and confessors of the early church, to the apostles, and to the upper room. To the upper room. Tradition is the church's memory. A parishioner of mine in my former parish brought his father, who had severe Alzheimer's, to the weekly holy hour. The elderly man no longer communicated with his son and his family. He lost all memory. He had become a beloved stranger. During the holy hour, the man simply knelt and stared ahead. Then, when benediction of the Blessed Sacrament began, everyone began to sing. The son heard a familiar voice singing the Tantum Ergo. And the Latin response to the priest, Omni lectamentum in sehabendem. He turned. It was his father singing. After the holy hour, the father was the same as before, detached from everyone and from where he was. But one for one moment, for one moment, that river of the unconscious. Tradition welled up and spoke forth. All the years he had sung the hymn had not been erased, could not be erased. The power of tradition
at the beginning of the play, Fiddler on the Roof, Tobiah asked, What is it that helps us keep our balance? And he answers his own question. That I can tell you in one word. Tradition. Father and Son and Holy Ghost. Amen.